Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Continuing the conversation about Major League Baseball and how there will be no Major League Baseball for the at least somewhat foreseeable future. And joining us now to do that is Tom Carrant, Red Sox and Bruins insider over at Nesson TC. Uh, I know how I am today. How are you? Uh, hi, Brady. Uh, disappointed is the word. Uh, sad is probably a good word. Uh, just and the way it went down, the way the last 48 hours of negotiations went down, uh, the heavy-handedness with which it ended yesterday, there's, there's a lot to be upset about today if you're a baseball fan. You know, TC, I had Buster Olney of ESPN on earlier today, so I asked him a lot of the logistical questions about the negotiations. So I saved some things specifically for you, though. If you're John Henry, how do you not step up at all to be a part of this? We had heard he was going to be there. Then I didn't hear his name mentioned once all week in Florida. Uh, as one of the owners of the biggest market teams in the in the sport, how do you not step up and try to prevent this? Well, I, I'm going to assume he did behind the scenes, and I don't know that. I'm not saying he did, uh, but I can't imagine his voice wasn't heard. Uh, again, you know, there are, they're an ownership of a, of a, of a, of a company, uh, a conglomerate now, that owns many teams, including the Liverpool Football Club, who was playing in the League Cup final on Sunday in London. So, hard to be in two places at once, and that would be the equivalent of not going to the World Series because you were in England dealing with a Premier League uh, labor negotiation. So, I, I get why he wasn't there. I have to assume... Uh, he was uh, part of the background conversations, part of the processing that was going on around the team. Uh, that, you know, listen, we know at the end of the day, uh, and we've known all along, and we've known for every other CBA in the past, that the players are united because the players have a common goal, and that's to get as much money in, in compensation as they can. It's not the same case with, with the owners. And, you know, John Henry and Hal Steinbrenner and the Dodgers and the Cubs and, and Steve Cohen Mets, and, you know, they're on one side. Unfortunately, they're, they're outnumbered by a large flock of small market owners, and, and that's why the CBT is so important to baseball. John Henry wants to spend more on his payroll. Steve Cohen obviously wants to spend more on payroll. The Steinbrenners want to spend more on payroll. It's, it's the dozen small market teams that receive revenue sharing that, that don't want those teams spending more, why John Henry or Hal Steinbrenner or Steve Cohen couldn't convince those smaller market groups to, to get more CBT is, is a question Rob, Rob Manford would have to answer. You've dealt with negotiations yourself in your own career. You've dealt with negotiations from, from covering it from a sports perspective. When a deal gets done, What's the relationship going to be like? Like, is John Henry going to be able to show up at spring training? Because, you know, I, I just picture, yeah, the deal's done, but nobody's really happy still. Yeah, you know, I always go back to, uh, and I told you a story before, when, when Mike Milbury was GM of the New York Islanders, I believe the goalie was Tommy Sala. They took him to arbitration, and, and Milbury was so good in his case against Sala that Sala broke down crying during the negotiation. Uh, and was never the same goalie again. They had to trade him the following season. Uh, you know, these are athletes. These are guys who, who at the end of the day, go out on the field to represent their team and their fan base and their city and their ownership. And, and so I don't know if it's as easy. I mean, a professional, you know, if you're, the lawyers go back to their sides and shake hands and say, job well done. We got the best deal we could get. Let's get on with it. I, I'm not sure every player comes back from it that easily. Uh, I think, 
you know, I think the young guys are going to be fine because at the end of the day, we know now that they're going to get an increase in, in minimum wage. Uh, there'll be, you know, some help for Super 2s, uh, that class that, that has been downtrodden, if you will, in their third year. Uh, some service manipulation, the draft lottery. All those things are going to be good for the rank and file. But some of the big stars, I mean, they, you know, if you start going down the path, and Buster has spoken about this, but, you know, if this goes long enough, Shohei Otani is going to use, lose a year of service time, uh, and he will lose uh, a year towards free agency. Uh, these are the guys that I don't know that they come back uh, that easily. You know, I don't, I don't know that a, a star who, who didn't get to play much in 2020 because they only played 60 games uh, and won't get a full season this summer if they don't get this done really quickly, uh, I don't know that he can just put aside his feelings uh, and go out and play for the sport. So I think there could be some damage here uh, that lingers for a long time between players and the industry. Red Sox and Bruins insider Ines and Tom Karen here with us on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. As it stands right now, we've lost the first two series of the year, which conveniently happened to be six Red Sox home games. So, you know, right now the Red Sox are already down to 75 home games and 81 road games. I don't know that we're not going to lose much more than that potentially, but we're already seeing the effects here causing a potential competitive imbalance. Is that something that worries you? Yeah, it does. If you look back on previous uh, on previous workshops, uh, there are examples of how they've handled this. And 1972 is the one you worry about. That was that was the year they never they just picked up the season where it was, uh, and teams made the playoffs by a half a game because other teams didn't get to make up their games. Uh, I I don't know in this day and age you'd get away with it quite that easily. Uh, and baseball, you know, is no longer the king of the world in sports. So I, I think there'd have to be some tweaks. But I said heavy-handedness at the beginning of it, and I, I, I think one of the things you should be outraged today as a as a fan is 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 Rob Manfred and and the group. You know, the way it was a self-imposed deadline that they created. Uh, first, uh, the end of February was Monday. They extended it to yesterday at five. Uh, and, and then from there to, to announce two series. Why two series? I mean, not everybody plays the same number of games in their first two series. Some have five games, some have six, some have seven. Uh, it just, to me, it all seems, and I guess this is part of the negotiation process, but it all seems heavy-handed. It all seems to try to create more leverage uh, when, when they're really, you know, we're at, we're at a point here where these two sides need to figure out a way to work together, and instead, yesterday, they got even further apart. It seems like whenever a deal happens, a 12-team playoff field is going to be part of it. Um, what do you think of that number? I, I, it's fine. I, You know, it's fine. I Listen, I mean, <clears throat> did anybody complain about the extra wild card game in the NFL? No, because everybody loves football, and they want more football. Uh, so I, baseball has got to get over itself sometimes as far as its resistance to change. Uh, I, am not, you know, I, I'm, I love the game and I'm a bit of a purist, uh, but I, you know, the game has been so outdated. We can go for, I love the fact that the owners, and, and they waited too long. They waited too long in all of this. I mean, they waited too long to bring up any negotiation points at all since January. Okay. But the fact that in the last three, four days, they were talking about a pitch clock and talking about regulating the shift. These are things that baseball needs. Uh, and, and so a 12-team playoff is fine. I, I, I would make the argument a 14-team playoff is going to be would have been fine, uh, even though everybody screams it's too many. But, again, 
why not create more excitement, more playoff opportunities, more team in the hunt? I think that's all good for the game. TC, let's move over to the Bruins now. They lost last night in Anaheim, but it has been a largely successful West Coast swing thus far. Jake DeBrusque had a had a hat trick against the Kings the other night. He had I had forgotten about this. He wants to be traded. He wanted to be traded. As the trade deadline uh, looms here inside three weeks, can they afford to trade him? Well, it's a great question. Don't forget though that don't forget that he wants to be traded. I mean that's that's probably a large part of the reason he is having this success right now because. Uh, he is highly motivated to either, you know, stick on the top line, which I don't know if that happens for him in Boston, or find another uh, find another team. So I, you know, it it, it really does uh, give Don Sweeney and and, and, and Bruce Cassidy uh, a, a little more uh, flexibility in how they want to do this. I mean, if they want to go land somebody, they're gonna, you know, we always hear if you want if you want a top three defenseman, it's gonna take your prospect, a young. NHL player now and, and maybe a draft pick. Well, that, that, Jacob Ross three weeks ago wouldn't have fit the bill as that current uh, NHL player who's doing something. Now he is. Uh, can they afford to trade him? Yeah, I, I still think they can uh, because, you know, you would only do it in a package for a real impact player. And we've seen in the playoffs, I love this story right now. I love a lot of what they're doing. But if, if we've seen in the playoffs, and we certainly saw it last year. That you got to be stronger in front of the net. You got to have more net front uh, strength, net front strength, and, and the ability to clear things out and open things up in front of your goaltender. They didn't do that last year in the playoffs. Uh, as soon as Carlo and Kevin Miller went down, uh, it was a different story as far as what their defense could do. Uh, and and so I think that uh, that that would be where I would look to improve this team, and if the Bros guy would do it. But he has absolutely what, what six goals in five games now, absolutely lit it up. Uh, and good for him. You want to be traded, that's how you get traded. you got to prove your worth because they're not going to trade you for nothing. TC, I know it's trivial to to bring real serious world issues into sports, but that's what we do. So I was reading some stuff yesterday about the impact that the uh, the war in Europe right now, or the war in Ukraine, is having on on the world of hockey. We know that that Russian players are being you know sent in death threats. We know that uh, it's impacting Russian players' draft stocks. How does this impact Bruin scouting in Europe? That's a really good question, uh, and it's, it's obviously going to impact the ability to see uh, Russian players and, and, and players in that area. It's going to restrict travel. It's going to restrict access. It's going to shut down some world competition that some of these uh, Russian players and European players are going to be part of. Uh, it, it's a great question. It's one thing to say, you know, you're not going to let the, the Russian soccer team play in the World Cup this year. It's another thing to say, uh, you know, these young players who, who, you know, you might have been following for quite some time and invested money in suddenly are not going to be uh, playing at any uh, high level that allows you to see it. It's, it's, I, you know, I was out in western New York at, uh, visiting our son last weekend in college, and, and their, their team, Division Three, had a, a, a Russian kid and a Ukrainian kid on the team. Hmm. Uh, imagine that. Imagine the number of locker rooms across the game of hockey that are dealing with things like that right now. Uh, it's, it's hard to, uh, to just imagine, uh, because we don't know where the, that war is going to go and how this is all going to play out. And until we do, I don't think you can even try to predict what'll happen, uh, as far as hockey scouting goes. 
Well said. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson. TC, appreciate the time, the perspective, the insight. One day you'll be in Fort Myers. I don't know when that's going to be, but hopefully it's someday soon. Well, I'm actually going tomorrow. Oh, uh, perfect. We, we, uh, <laughs> so uh, we're actually, I'm going to spend the day. They're, they're going to have the minor leaguers out there uh, opening up to the media on Sunday. I'll be back by the time we talk next week. So I'm just, we, we, I sort of booked it. And, and told Nesson, you know, hopefully they'll be opening up while I'm down there and I'll just extend it. Uh, but either way, well, my wife and I, it's been two years since we've been to Fort Myers and get blue uh, almost to, to the day, right? We got kicked out on uh, March 12, 2020 when the world shut down. Uh, so we're going to go back this week and kind of the scene of the crime, if you will, and, uh, and see what's going on around Jet Blue. So we'll have a little more to report next week. Well, we'll look forward to talking about uh... – you know, low-level minor leaguers and seeing who stood out to you. Can't wait. So, TC, we'll yeah. talk in seven Kristen days. Kassin talk weekly. For the, uh, we'll, we'll talk Kristen Kassin and see how he does it. <laughs> All right, DC, travel safe. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Brent. Appreciate it.